Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, you're listening to Talking France, a podcast by The Local, in which we talk about all things France, and in particular, the French presidential election. I'm your host, Ben McPartland. And we have a winner. After months of campaigning and two rounds of voting, Emmanuel Macron has been declared the winner of the 2022 French presidential election. Macron comfortably beat his challenger Marine Le Pen in a repeat of the 2017 vote to earn another five years in the Elysee. In this week's episode, we'll bring you up to date with the results and the reaction from Sunday's vote and look ahead to what happens next. And we'll also be speaking to our resident political columnist, John Litchfield, to get his take on Macron's victory, what's next for Le Pen and the French far right, and find out what might lie in store for all of us in France over the next five years. Hi, Emma. We're sitting in our office in Paris. Um, I'm surrounded by Conte cheese, mousse de canard. I've got a tantan in front of me. You've gobbled a massive bag of Haribo sweets, I can see, but you're managing to uh, keep in touch with the election results. Just fill us in on the latest, please. Uh, yeah, preliminary results are in. These are, um, as we've talked about before, the um, early results. So it's not a poll. It is an actual result, but it's not every single vote yet counted yet, but they are generally pretty accurate. And the preliminary results are Macron 58, Le Pen 41. So a fairly solid victory for Macron there. So it's around a 16 point difference between the two candidates. Now that's a lot closer than it was in 2017 when it was 66, 34. But it's a lot bigger than what it was two weeks ago. Exactly. I mean, uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at a neck and neck race. So it's certainly not that. It's a fairly solid victory for Macron. But there's still the fact that four in 10 of people who did vote voted for the far right. So that's quite a big deal. Sure. We'll come on to that in one sec. Just uh, what about abstention? This is one thing that we talked a lot about in the run up to the second round. Is there a set figure, a, a final figure on those who didn't vote tonight? Uh, yeah, the abstention rate is 28%, and that is the highest rate since 1969. But it's certainly not the collapse in vote that people were predicting that most people did vote. It's actually only 2% down on 2017. So it's lower, but it's not anything dramatic, really. Sure. And I think most analysts said the abstention rate would have to be a lot higher for Marine Le Pen to win or to, to have a real chance of winning. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out that, you know, we talk about this high abstention rate in France, but if you compare it to countries like the UK, the US, this would count as a very high turnout for them. So it's all relative. It's a fair point. Now, let's talk about Emmanuel Macron. He has been re-elected. That's the first French president to be re-elected in 20 years. He came from nowhere in 2017, pretty much. He's now won his second election. You watched his victory speech, Emma. Was he triumphalist? Was he jubilant? What was the atmosphere? Not really. Um, his speech was short and humble, which are not words that you throw around very often with Macron. It was a brief speech and obviously he was, you know, happy that he'd won. But he did spend a lot of time, he obviously thanked his own supporters, but he very much acknowledged the fact that a lot of people who voted for him didn't actually support him. They were just voting to block the far right. So he acknowledged that, thanked them. He acknowledged that a lot of people hadn't voted at all and said that the abstention rate was a message which he had heard. And he also 
spoke out to Le Pen's supporters as well, and there was a bit of sort of booing in the crowd when he said that, and he hushed them as uh, as he did that and said, no, you know, a lot of people have voted for Le Pen, and I need to look at the reasons why they've done that, the anger and the discord that's driven people to do that, and he said, that is my responsibility. So he was striking a an unusually humble tone, I thought. Yeah, we should say in 2017, he also said he would do everything in his power to stop people voting for the extremes. It's a tough task. It's not all on Macron, he said. It's like the responsibility for him and those around him and obviously previous governments too. What about uh, Marine Le Pen in terms of her reaction tonight? I was watching that. She has been criticised by some for being less than gracious in defeat. She was quite defiant, actually. She described it as a brilliant victory. She vowed to kind of lead the campaign in the legislative election. She was quite critical of Macron, saying that she doesn't think he's going to do anything in the next five years to heal the divisions in France. There was talk of Marine Le Pen just kind of stepping down after this result if she lost, but that's not really the case, or so it seems at the moment. Well, yeah, she said she was going to retire and breed cats, but she seems to be already talking about fighting the parliamentary elections. So, I mean, obviously we don't know what happens after that, but she's certainly not stepping down for the minute. She does have a degree in breeding cats or a qualification, is that right? It's a diploma in breeding cats, yeah, because in an incredibly French twist, if you have a cat and it has more than one litter a year, you need a professional qualification to do that and a life to do it because France. That may stand her in good stead if that's what she decides to do. Now, in terms of other reaction in France and beyond, there was plenty of European and global leaders sending messages to Macron. Can we sum it up? Yeah, they were all really, really happy about it, unsurprisingly. Um, Ursula von der Leyen was first out of the blocks. I think it was about 10 minutes after the result came in. She was tweeting her congratulations. And, I mean, she'll be hugely relieved. She's dodged a massive bullet there that uh, Le Pen's policy uh, was sort of described as Frexit by stealth, that she was going to stay in the EU but refused to abide by any of its rules. So that was clearly shaping up to be a nightmare for von der Leyen and everybody else in the EU. So I yeah. imagine they'll be pretty happy tonight. And it was interesting to note that, actually, at the... At Macron's rally at the Eiffel Tower, there were a lot of EU flags in the crowd as well as tricolores. So, I mean, this is a big night for Europe as well as for France. Huge night for Europe. And Macron said that in his final words in the debate and his final speech. He said that today's vote was a referendum on Europe, essentially. So, look, let's look forward. We're going to bring in John Litchfield, our political columnist, shortly, but it's not over in France yet. We're going to talk about the parliamentary elections shortly, but just what happens next week? What happens now, really? Well, on Wednesday, we get the formal pronouncement of the new presidency. We obviously pretty much know who who it is, but the formality is on Wednesday when the head of the Constitutional Council declares who the new president is. But the government, they don't actually need to wait for that. They can act before that, and they almost certainly will. And the big thing that's going to happen this week is that the Prime Minister will resign and the government will be dissolved. That sounds dramatic, but it's not that dramatic. No, it's pretty much just a formality or standard practice after presidential elections. And basically the purpose of it is that Macron will then put together a team who are going to be a lot more focused on fighting the parliamentary elections, which are the next thing we come to. The convention is that the president's not really supposed to get involved in the parliamentary elections. That's for the prime minister. But obviously, as we've said before, Macron's going to be kind of stuffed if he doesn't have a parliamentary majority. So it's clearly in his interest to put together a team who he thinks will be able to win that for him. And it'll be quite interesting to see who he brings in, that who he thinks will um, will appeal to voters there. Yeah, and all the talk, even in the, in the last few days, has been about whether Macron can get the majority he'll need with his allies, with other parties who are part of the, the bloc, to push through his reforms. And I remember interviewing, along with other journalists, with the Anglo-American Press Association in 2017, where they said, basically, look, Macron's going to win the presidential election, but he's really 
really going to struggle to get a majority. But then we interviewed them again before the second round of those elections and he was on course, Macron was suddenly on course to have a huge majority. So it's like, you know, even then it was totally unpredictable about what can happen in these parliamentary elections. We're looking at a similar state now, aren't we, really? Uh, well, yeah, probably. And what about these parliamentary elections? Just run us through what actually happens. Well, basically, we go pretty much straight into campaigning for them. The actual elections themselves are over two rounds and they're on uh, June the 12th and June the 19th. What happens over the next few weeks is basically it's a bit like the bit in a horror movie when all the characters that you thought were dead suddenly come back. So we see a lot of the defeated candidates from the first round coming back again. Eric Zemmour has already said that he's going to run. Jean-Luc Mélenchon we've talked to before he's you know really gunning for getting a big block in uh, parliamentary elections and I think it's also quite likely that we'll see a fair few cranks running for this Florian Philippot he was a de facto leader of the anti-vax movement he's said that he's going to be fielding 500 candidates along with Génération Frexit so we're going to see some interesting characters I think popping up for this Yes and Mélenchon uh, the far left losing candidate who finished third he wants the French people to elect him as Prime Minister meaning give him a, a majority, give his party a majority so he'd have to work under Macron now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, actually, because we've said this before, but he did get 20% of the vote in the election. But a lot of people who were voting for him were left-wingers who just wanted to vote for a candidate who were doing well. So whether that group will stick together for the parliamentary elections or whether it will fragment back into the centre-right, the far-right, the Trotskyists, the communists, we'll see. Yes, whatever happens, the debates, the speeches, the campaigning, the billboards you'll see outside schools, it's not over in France. Oh God, no, there's no rest for the wicked yet. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Emma. Just a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is only possible thanks to those who've supported us by becoming members of The Local. It takes time and resources to produce our independent journalism. If you're not yet a member but would like to join, you can find a practically irresistible price for your first month by visiting thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. Now, I'm going to bring in our political columnist, John Litchfield, here, who joins us on the line from Normandy. John, how are you feeling tonight? Just on a personal level, you're a foreigner in France, like uh, like our readers. What does this result mean to you, John? Well, you know, I just just tweeted that I want to take off my journalistic hat and put on my blue with yellow stars French berry uh, and say how pleased I was by the result, because... You know, I was always pretty sure that Macron would win, but um, it never looked, it didn't look a couple of weeks ago that he could win by, what is it, finally, it's uh, 17 points, I think it's looking like now, which is uh, way beyond any of the most recent polls gave him, and it's beyond his average of um, being ahead of Le Pen over the last year. So it is quite a considerable victory for him, I think, in all circumstances, and I think will be enough to give him momentum into winning the parliamentary elections in June, or at least getting um, a working majority there. Great. So good news on a personal level and on a for France uh, as a country, you know, looking forward. Is this a big enough win for Macron for him to go forward with a strong mandate to carry on his reforms? Well, I mean, it depends on those parliamentary elections, but even it was 66% last time. And within a year, you had the Gilets Jaunes uh, laying waste to Paris and other places. And I'm sure that will happen again. You know, I mean, I don't bang on about it, but France is now divided in this into three big chunks. And Macron won tonight because one of the kind of chunks that basically disapproves him, some of them detest him, were willing to join him in the vote tonight because uh, the left, I'm talking about, of course, because they hated the far right even more. They will hope to win the parliamentary elections in June, the left, 
I don't think they will. And therefore, there'll be a lot of anger and opposition to, to whatever Macron tries to do. So, no, I mean, I think he'll be able to carry some of his reform out, but whether it's going to be a much more evenly balanced and a more well-tempered second term, I doubt it, given the fact that anyway, I think France and the rest of the world are heading into a very stormy two or three years anyway. I can't see it being a very easy second term for him, no. John, let's just have a word about Macron. You know, he came from nowhere five years ago, although he was a member of Francois Hollande's government. He really did kind of come from nowhere and kind of smash the two-party system. He's now been re-elected, you know, which is rare in modern times in France. Do you think he gets enough credit for what he's actually achieved in, in politics? Yeah, it's a very, very good question, that, Ben. People are always, I mean, the whole of the, a lot of the coverage of this campaign is focused on Zemmour and then on, uh, and now more recently on Le Pen. Very few people ask the question, you know, or pointed out that Macron was very steady in his first round votes for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, that he did very well in the first round. That there are people out there, as you and I know, who detest Macron, but he's built a kind of constituency for himself out of nothing, which is, it's not exactly what you think people think it is either. You know, it, I haven't yet seen the, the small print of, of the votes today. But last time he had much more, many more votes in rural and out of suburban France than people would have imagined. Yes, it shifted quite a bit to the right, but quite a lot of people who had previously voted to the left. He has created a centre wrist, uh, a kind of reformist, but steady as you go, status quo constituency. And if he wasn't there, where would we be? You know, the centre-right, the centre-left parties, people accuse Macron of having destroyed them, but they've been destroying themselves all the years that I've been in France. Mm. And Macron's been able to come in and pick up some of the pieces. But if we were, we didn't have him there, and there are problems with Macron, we can criticise Macron for many things, I think the country would be, and Europe also, would be would be, would be in a terrible mess. So, yes, I think he deserves enormous credit. And as you say, he, he is the first French president to be re-elected for 20 years. But even going beyond that, no French president in the Fifth Republic since 65 has been re-elected without having first lost a parliamentary election, which um, Mitterrand did twice, I think, and Chirac once, and then got re-elected. So it is an extraordinary achievement after all this whole years for him to be re-elected by this finally quite high score, even though 41%, 41.5%, whatever it finally turns out to be, is a big new high watermark for the far right in this country, all the same. Yes, John, I'm going to just ask you about Marine Le Pen now. You know, we should just mention, obviously, her. it's an historic result for the Rassemblement National, the far right, uh, have never been closer to power. Do you think this is probably the end for her, but certainly not the end for the far right in France? Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. I mean, she she had said that she would resign or retire if she lost and go to breed cats and things. I, I suspect she won't do that because... It, I think I said on a previous podcast that it's the family business. You know, she won't give it up very easily. Uh, it remains to be seen, you know, whether she does or not. But even if she does try and fight it out, I think that the Rassemblement National will come under increasing pressure from the new movement created by Zemmour and by her niece, Marion Maréchal. And I would hear forecast five years ahead, I may not be here at that point, that the far-right candidate in 2027 will not be Zemmour or the most powerful far-right candidate will not be Zemmour nor Marine Le Pen, it will be Marion Maréchal. I'm not sure she'll be any more successful at the end of the day, but it, it, she will be able to possibly bring together parts of the right, the harder parts of the centre-right and the far-right in a way that Marine Le Pen's never been able to do. So that could be quite a, a serious challenge to the status quo and to centrist in European politics in France next time. 
Mm. And John, what about France? What kind of five years is the country facing? You know, on paper, the economy is doing quite well compared to, you know, other major nations. But we're facing a kind of cost of living crisis, as you referred to earlier, you know, prices going up, fuel prices going up. What do you think is going to happen in the next five years? It's, it's, I'm putting you on the spot a bit here because obviously it's very hard to predict, as you mentioned, with the, you know, the Gilets Jaunes protest in the previous five years. But c- can you look ahead and perhaps how, how do you expect it to go for, for Macron in his second term? I suspect you may get something rather similar. You know, you, you'll you'll get a similar movement against him. I mean, the Gilets Jaunes were a strange movement, as you know, but there was a, a large element of far right in them and some element of far left by the end. I think something along those lines you might see might see again within a year or so. I, it's very difficult to predict, Ben, because I think that the whole world is going into a very, very difficult two or three years. You know, how long is the Ukraine war is going, going to go on? How long are the, how big are the economic um, shockwaves from that going to be? Very difficult to tell. I think that what we have is far more stability, more hope, more possibility of moving forward in a creative and positive way than we possibly have had mm. under Marine Le Pen. But it's not going to be easy for Macron. Yeah, I mean, do you think Macron will, you know, he's kind of put reforms on hold due to the COVID crisis, obviously. Do you think the fear of unrest will restrict him in the five years to come? Will he be scared to push through exactly what he wants? You know, he's a, he's a kind of an action man. He's someone who likes to get things done. But do you think he'll hold back a bit? No, I don't think he will. I, I think he will push forward, but I hope he's kind of learned from some of the mistakes he made last time. But certainly on the pension reform, which will be the centrepiece again, he does need to create a kind of um, a platform, a basis of agreement with the unions and with, with the employers and, and with um, within society generally before pushing ahead with a scheme that people didn't understand very well and, and didn't want. I mean, he's begun to do that by moving away from a little bit from the uh, 65 age for retirement during during the second part of this campaign. So, yeah, no, I think he will push ahead with that. I mean, in a sense, he has nothing to lose. He can't run again in 2027. Uh, You can only have two consecutive terms now in France. He could run again in 2032 if he wanted to. He'd still be quite a young man by then. But I don't think that's likely to happen. So I think, yeah, I think he'll try and go for broke. But I suspect that most of his time, as it has been, finally, in this first five years, as we'll be in fighting fires and surviving crises, you know, which has been, I think, two-thirds, three-quarters of his five years has been COVID, it's been Ukraine, it's been the Gilets Jones, you know, and I don't think it's going to be an easier uh, global uh, climate for him to, to, to be president of France in the next five years, far from it. But I think he will emerge as the quite a strong and um, significant European leader which he already is, but I think having been re-elected now, I think he will push ahead with some success with what he wants to change in the European Union. Yeah, and John, finally, you know, his ability to be able to go for broke and push through reforms in his second term. How much does it depend on the parliamentary elections next month and getting a, a majority in, in Parliament? Absolutely, it does. I mean, you know, this is a, this is going to be a myth of France as it's a presidential system. It is less of a presidential system than the US system. Uh, the French president has less direct powers than the US president. If he doesn't have a majority in the parliament, um, he can do very little, as we discovered when, when Mitterrand and Chirac both left, lost their parliamentary majorities, and they had to govern with prime ministers from the opposite families, centre-left or centre-right. Could that happen again to Macron in June? Um, Jean-Luc Mélenchon thinks it can. He thinks he can be the the hard left prime minister and and, um, relegate Macron to being just a sort of ceremonial head of state. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the left, despite this facade of unity, 
will not unite easily, not behind Mélenchon anyway, and that the right and far right are extremely and poisonously divided now, all of which, with the momentum from this victory, gives Macron and his not entirely unfractious allies uh, a chance to to have a, a majority, maybe not as big as they have at the moment in the new parliament. So, yes, absolutely, that is that is now one election will go straight, segue straight into another one. And the first thing that's going to happen this week is that Macron is going to choose a new prime minister. I don't think uh, Jean Castex will, will survive. I think he's done the job he was asked to, to do and has done it quite well, really, in a kind of low-key sort of way. But Any ideas needs someone, who it might be, John? Well, I think it needs to be someone who's kind of acceptable to the left. And there are a couple of names from within the present government who, which have been put forward. Um, Elizabeth Bourne, the employment minister, who's not a politician, really. She comes from more of a kind of technocratic background, but she used to be Ségolène Royale's chief aide. And so she has a kind of left-wing uh, roots of a kind. And then there's also Julien de Normandie, the... Um, Agriculture minister, who's also previously been in, he was on the left before he joined up with Macron in the early days of La République en Marche. So neither of those have any real experience of electoral politics, never mind running an election campaign. So I suspect Macron may look around for someone with more muscle politically and in terms of campaign knowledge and experience to, to run this campaign. Because under the French constitution, or at least by convention, the president cannot go out and campaign for this election. Of course, they do up to a point, but he cannot lead the campaign uh, in in the same way that sort of a prime minister does or even a president does in, in the US up to a point in, in congressional elections. So he has to choose someone who's got the sort of strength and the credibility to, to do that. And beyond those two names, I'm not sure who that would be. Interesting stuff, John. Yeah, it's been a strange campaign all in all, hasn't it, up until today and, and with the war in Ukraine and obviously and it was slow to get going. There was a moment where... We all started getting the jitters thinking that Marine Le Pen could stand a chance of winning. Macron's been re-elected, but he's still got plenty of work to do going forward. Yeah, I mean, that surge that Marine Le Pen had in the end of the first round was strange, wasn't it? Because although she was surging in the first round polls, she was only really taking votes away from the rest of the far right. And finally, the far right in the first round ended up with the same total score it had had for weeks and months. What was more worrying was the fact that the second round polls came so close to one or two points, even on the night of Macron's victory in the first round, there was one poll by EFOP showing him only two points ahead of her, which is well within the margin of error. And so that was slightly worrying. But the second round, you know, I was always confident, I say now, that uh, the pen would be examined, stress-tested much more rigorously in the second round than she had been that, to, up to that point. And that's exactly what's happened. Also, Macron fought, fought a much more energetic and clever, I think, second round campaign performed pretty well, although, you know, in an aggressive way, which kind of annoyed some people in the debate the other night. So, uh, yeah, there was a moment where even people within the Macron camp started to sort of slightly worry about what was going on. And it's always uncomfortable on, on, on if you have to win an election with votes from people that don't like you or even detest you in terms of many left-wing votes. It's always going to be a stretch for Macron to get the left-wing out again, second time to vote for him, after five years in which the left had declared, it, declared him to be the president of the rich and as bad as the pen in some cases. So it is, it is an extraordinary victory tonight in that sense. John, thanks very much for joining us. And a reminder to listeners, you can read all of John's articles on thelocal.fr. The Local France has over 10,000 members. Their contributions help us grow our coverage of France and allow us to produce this podcast. 
If you'd like to join at a discount price, visit www.thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. And it's the final episode in this election series. Before I took into my ta-ta-ta here in front of me, Emma, just a final word from you. The last few weeks have been, you know, pretty interesting. The campaign was slow getting started. The war happened in Ukraine and then it got really exciting. And then finally Macron's re-elected. Yeah, it's been uh, been exciting times and it's been interesting doing this podcast. I hope people have learned something and enjoyed it. We've certainly learned a lot researching all of this. So, so that's been really interesting for us. And, uh, you know, we might uh, we might continue with a different type of podcast. Yes, we may be back with future podcasts. Please feel free to give us feedback. Always email us at news at the local.fr. And like Emma said, we hope this has been really useful. I've certainly learned a lot in the last few weeks about French politics. Thank you for listening. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.